And so the moral of the story is that if you're foolish enough to dispense with your wise traditions, because you can point to flaws that inherit to men better than you, far better than you, let's say Thomas Jefferson, for example, that you are walking a pathway that it will, will turn you and your descendants into the slaves of people who have proper respect for tradition. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to be watching a video from Jordan Peterson talking about how laughing at tradition and these established truths eventually leads to enslavement. And then Michael and I are going to break down a little bit more about scoffing and the biblical view and our ideas around this topic. While we cover a range of topics, it centers around the idea of the spirit of pride versus the spirit of humility and how a Christian or any person can truly grow and become a better version of themselves with God's help. Using human beings' inherent fallenness and inherent sinfulness in order to discredit you know, and you see this literally with every ideology, right? Capitalism is bad because Bernie Madoff exists. Okay, okay. So, so I got a good story about that for you. So you remember in the story of Noah. So Noah shepherds his family and the human race, for that matter, through the return of the pre-cosmogonic chaos, right? The waters come back. God floods everything returning it to the state that preceded creation and brings up a new civilization. Noah is to thank for that. Now, he goes out after he lands, because it's been a harrowing trip, let's say, plants a vineyard and proceeds to get rip-roaring drunk. And so that's a human failing. And Noah is only characterized in that text as wise in his generations, right? He's not a saint. He's not the savior. He's a, a good man, but a man, so he has faults. Now, here's what happens. This is so cool. So he drinks like three gallons of wine and, and passes out, and he's stark naked. I think his like robes are lifted up over his body, and he's laying there in his tent exposed and naked. And his son, Ham, comes along and has a pretty good laugh about how stupid his father is, which is a pretty damn ungrateful thing to do. And foolish, because Ham would be, it would be of great, It'd be a great accomplishment of Ham to be half the man that his father was. So anyways, he laughs at Noah, and then he gets his brothers, and he says, you know, hey, the old man's, you know, drunk out of his mind. Why don't we go? And, and he's all sprawled out. Let's go over there, and we can all join in a good laugh. And his other sons, Noah's other sons, take a blanket, and they back into the tent, and they cover Noah. Okay, and so they show him respect despite his flaws. Now, the way that story ends is that, in tradition, is that slaves are the descendants of Ham. And so the moral of the story is that if you're foolish enough to dispense with your wise traditions, because you can point to flaws that inherit to men better than you, far better than you, let's say Thomas Jefferson, for example, that you are walking a pathway that it will, will turn you and your descendants into the slaves of people who have proper respect for tradition. And that seems to me to be, well, like that's spot on. That's dead on. It, it nails the pride, eh? Because Canada is unbelievably appalling in this regard. Our politicians will apologize even for imagined historical 
wrongs, even if they show no sign whatsoever of being anywhere near as wise as the people who hypothetically committed those wrongs, just so they can parade their moral virtue in comparison to the great men of the past. And one of the things, too, that is worth thinking about in that regard is there's almost nothing more cowardly than attacking the dead. Because even more than the unborn, they can't defend themselves. Right? So, so well, and it's very difficult to read into that attempt to demoralize and devalue the past. You don't, you can't read into that the attempt on the part of the people who are doing the criticism to be better people. You can read into that their willingness to condemn and make contemptuous to redound to their unearned moral virtue. And that defines the universities now. You know, all these bloody literary critics who are above the people whose works they depend on and criticize. All these art critics who have perverted the, the museums with their commentary on the hypothetical sins of the artists. That's exactly what they're doing. And it's very amusing to consider that, you know, their destiny... <laughs> their destiny is going to be indistinguishable from that of slaves. It's hardcore. Yeah. Very complex, very um, Jordan Peterson-like. Yeah. What do you think about it? Um, what's interesting is that I think he's he's actually wrong on the text. Yes. Yeah, that's what I, exactly what I was thinking, too. I'm like, uh, I mean, there's... You know, but anyway. he's absolutely dead on in principle. Mm. The principle that he draws from it is dead on. I think that's truth. Uh, I think he's wrong on the text, but I mean, the I, way I, he interprets what. Well, I have Genesis nine right here, and it does not say that that Ham laughed, that mm. there was any kind of mocking or scoffing going on. So, mm. um, and I just don't think that that's what's happening. It says that he saw his father's nakedness, and I don't think that that means. That just that he saw him. Right, we would simply. we would say that means that he slept with his mom. Yeah, it's an idiom. Right, it is an idiom in Leviticus in Hebrew that um, to to ha to see someone's nakedness is to have an interaction with them and with their spouse. And I'm guessing the majority of your walk with God and being a believer, you probably didn't know that. No, <laughs> yeah, that's even that take is a really controversial take. I yeah. you know, so that's a whole discussion on its own, and I. But what's Put so interesting aside. is even when when I don't necessarily agree with his take on the text, I totally agree with his take on the the point. Okay. The point of what he's saying. What is the point? Because it was kind of confusing to me. Yeah. But. I think. I think the point is um, the only power, the greatest power, I should say, that the self righteous and the prideful have is to scoff. Hmm. The self-righteous and the prideful, their greatest power is to scoff. And especially when you can't actually produce anything of value at, on your own. The only thing that you can do is look down your nose, look down your finger, and point. And even more powerfully than that, even more powerful than criticism, is, is mocking and laughter. Mm. And um, I have seen this on apologetics videos far and wide. When you talk about actual arguments for, for or against Christianity, um, an intellectually honest person, I think of um, what's that guy's name? Alex, with the beard. He's a young guy, but he's got he's got a thick beard. Alex O'Connor or mm. something. Um, 
intellectually honest people, you really have to conclude with like, hey, atheism is just as much based on faith as God, and the evidence isn't even as good. You yeah. know, you have to want to believe ev- to believe atheism, just like in a sense you have to want to believe that God is there, uh, but the evidence isn't even good enough in the atheism camp, as it's really, really good evidence for God. You have to turn away from it. And, and intellectually honest atheists will go there and be like, yeah, and I pick atheism. Um, but people who are not intellectually honest, who actually want to put up an argument, there is no good argument. And so you have to resort. If you want to keep your position and keep your pride, you have to resort yeah. to mocking. And, and I see, have just seen it far and wide. I mean, we've been seeing it in our comment sections. That's kind of what opened up my <laughs> eyes to it is I have seen in, in some of the apologetics reviews that we have done so yeah. many scoffers. That's what the Bible calls them, scoffers, in mm-hmm. in the comment section. If you're one of them, I apologize, <laughs> but I just encourage you to sincerely look into it. Um, but and, and here's the thing, though, is like I saw the comments and I went, okay, like I want to, sin- I want to take this seriously. That's what's so interesting is like, right. Like I want to, I want to take what they're saying. And seriously. I go, okay, I want to yeah. take your, I want to take your criticism seriously. And then I go another step deeper and I start looking into anti-Christian apologetics videos and, you know, stuff about the Bible is not true history and how there's no archeological evidence and how all, you know, the evidence for the new Testament isn't really that good. And even when I went there, it was the same thing. It was scoffing. Hmm. is like here's you know oh they have a manuscript from 150 AD that's really good that's really good evidence in from a history standpoint but then they show you the manuscript and it's you know half a page which is really good evidence yeah in terms in yeah. terms of historical archaeology that's really good evidence and they go it's half a page <laughs> and you go like but that's your that's the only power you have is to laugh you know, and to scoff and to mock and to, and what you do is, what that does is you orient shame yeah, against someone else. Yeah, yeah. Is there is no argument. The only argument is shame. And if you're not on my side of the fence laughing at the people on the other side, you get laughed at you're an too. Idiot. Yeah. You get laughed at too. And it is so important for Christians, really all you have to do is have a backbone. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the problem because it's seen as the not nice thing to do these days. Don Christian thing, just you got to be the nice guy or whatever. And uh, sometimes the kind thing is just to say the truth. And something you've said before is that truth doesn't really need to defend itself. It is true, and so you don't really have another defense against truth other than disqualify that in some other way but the facts yeah well the bible says that the word of god is sharper than any two-edged sword yeah you can't fight against it (laughs) you won't win that battle my question is like why is there such a negative reaction if god is not real and your atheism is right why are you all up in our comment section (laughs) you know or in why why is that the the defense like why is why does they care so much why is there so is it Mm, you could say religion does harm to people there's spiritual abuse to the point of sexual abuse you know in, in really huge major headlining kind of cases 
and you know but then you could be like there's transgender there's abuse there there's you know mm. um people abusing that kind of system and so the idea that you would ever get away from abuse or ever get away from somebody misusing a system that nah, you know it's kind of lazy yeah it's not true um i could grant maybe also you have a um a real desire for truth like hey that's not true there isn't a being out there who created everything that's not true um but my but question it doesn't is it seem like a, the righteous crusade of truth when it devolves to scoffing yeah you know and just anger if you want to lift people up and edify them and bring them into the light of truth that you would then resort yeah. to scoffing mm -hmm. back at them which i think though we should we should turn turn the thing around and say that the bible is very clear to christians that you should correct people gently yes well and i i wanted to even like move it off of okay like of course the defense for the atheistic camp is to scoff and that's what we've been seeing and that's why people recommend don't look at your comment section <laughs> but i like to pray for everybody who comments like i try to at least i don't pray for every single person but like whenever i see one and i especially remember especially some particularly gnarly ones <laughs> well like, lord help that person <laughs> yeah but uh on the other hand i think what has been more surprising for me is not the and this i guess this kind of just came turned into a soapbox episode kind of but what's more surprising to me is the um christians that have commented hmm. that are scoffing oh at, in, in what way at other things oh you you believe like the the earth six thousand years old or the opposite way yeah you know how could anybody believe that the earth is a million years old that's yeah. so dumb but and and being angry about it and like yes. not being kind and I'm yes. like what are we what are we getting at here and that's why uh, there was one comment that said is this the conversations that we're supposed to you know that Paul says to avoid as Christians over? and I can totally see that feeling like hey I just don't want to even wade into this any any um any conversation that provokes mocking because you mocking is not good you don't want to enter into that conversation of anger or scoffing or shame yeah um and so any conversation that pr can provoke that you would want to avoid um i don't think that apologetics is a conversation we should avoid because mm -hmm. it provokes shame or scoffing um but the bible says to to simply have an answer for the hope that you have yeah and to say like well this is what i put my hope in does not come along with any kind of shame, does not come along with any kind of scoffing. Paul is very clear to give people an answer in gentleness in hopes that they, they will actually hear you, not an answer that um, provokes wrath or provokes a fight or stirs up controversy. The yeah. Bible is very clear about how gentle and honest Christians should be with the truth. Yeah. Um, so let's dive more into what Peterson was saying there is that people who mock the traditions that are their foundation end up enslaved to the results of the mockery. Yeah. What do you think that means? And how does that apply to just scoffing in general? Um, I think that, um, it, I have been amazed just because I am a young man in my twenties and YouTube knows that. And so what it feeds me is, I'm also a conservative young man in my mm. 20s, so that definitely plays into part of it. 
and it is feeding me red pill community stuff. You got to be a man. You got to go out there. You got to create something. You got to work 16 jobs. You got to, <laughs> you know, be a millionaire by 30. Uh, uh, 16 jobs, 60 hours a week on each yeah, of them. <laughs> get fit, stop being fat, you know, all the, the whole, the whole thing, like yeah. all of the stuff that comes with that. You got to work, 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 work. And, and so much of that, um, it's like, you should be that. And shouldn't you be ashamed that 60 years ago, men just were like that and how dumb we are, how lazy we are, how stupid we are. And, you know, mm. the great men of the past used to be like this and we should go back to, and I do think so. I think that young men should work. I think that young men should be smart. I think they should apply themselves. They ha you have the world at your fingertips. You should be learning and not playing video games. I think that's all totally right. Um, that instinct though, of looking at people who are lazy, who are not working, who are not producing anything, who are just managing and even at that managing poorly, um, when you don't create anything, when you don't work at anything, when you aren't improving yourself, the thing that the red pill community kind of has right, the thing that they're grasping onto, I think, is, is that, is that when you become that, the only way to feel good about yourself is to make an us-them line and laugh at the people on the other side. Mm. I haven't ever created anything. I haven't ever done anything important with my life. I will never... <laughs> Thomas Jefferson founded a nation, just to use his example. Thomas Jefferson founded a nation, and I can barely get off my couch and hold a job for yeah. six months. How can I feel better about myself? The only thing I can do is draw a line and laugh at him. And once you start that, you kind of dig your own hole. Totally. Of where you have to always be, you know, creating more and more divide. Because yes you're forever going to feel that emptiness or that divide of how meaningless what you're doing is. Yes. Um, so how does the gospel play into this? Like we have this, you know, I don't know if Peterson is a Christian or not, but There's a whole bunch of debate. But, around that. So like, let's say you find yourself in this place where you're scoffing and you, you're just in this, you're in that place. Or you've mm. decided to go down that road. How do you get out? What is the solution of that? Or like, if we see it happening around us, what are we? What do we ought to do? Like, wh how ought we to respond to our comment section? <laughs> hey, we got a lot of good comments too. I have to admit, like, hey, a lot of really encouraging ones. Each and every one of them. When you leave a pleasant <laughs> comment that tells us that you appreciate our ministry. It just warms my heart. It does. It seriously keeps me going. And I appreciate all of the scoffing comments too because it... Um, it challenges me. It makes me grow. You have to know that the source the source of all scoffing, the source of all mocking, the source of self-righteousness is pride. Yeah. And... And where does pride come from? Well, I, th I Cause, think... Because you usually think of pride as like, oh, I'm better than you and stuff. But what if you're... You are not better. The Bible, the Bible calls it a spirit, mm. which which means all that all that means is that it is the rock bottom disposition of your entire life. Mm. Is Dang. me 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 to say that it's a spirit of pride or a spirit of humility or a spirit of anxiety or yeah. a spirit of depression 
It doesn't mean that it's a spooky spirit out there. It means that the rock bottom disposition of my life is pride, is me first. That sounds exhausting. Yes. I guess that's why it's chained. You're, you're, uh, when you sin, you're a slave to sin. Like you're literally shackled. You're carrying around these heavy weights. Yes. And the only way to break the spirit of pride, well, one is that, um, it is a, because it's a spirit, because it's the rock bottom reality of who you are in your entire disposition is it's always self-reinforcing. Even when you're presented with facts about yourself that should knock you down a peg and make you realize yourself because your rock bottom disposition is self-protection and pride in me first, you mm. always respond with defense or why I'm right and you're wrong. You know what I mean? The spirit of humility, it's always this negative feedback loop or a positive feedback loop. The, the negative feedback loop of a spirit of pride responds to criticism with more pride. I have to prove you wrong. I have to laugh at you. I have to devalue you. I have to disarm you and your facts against me to, to maintain my pride. And the spirit of humility receives criticism and grows from it and gets better and receives criticism and grows from it and gets better. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's either you're stuck in the negative feedback loop. You are shackled. You are chained to whatever spirit you have chosen at rock bottom to live your life in. Either one of contrition and humility or one of pride and it's just fascinating that that you know uh, that leads to enslavement like this disposition of the heart leads to enslavement mm -hmm. which is wild like it's wild to even think about that concept of how that works you're enslaved not only are you enslaved to yourself but because your own view of your ego is so inflated mm. do you know what i mean like hey i think i've had friends like hey look at my art my art is so great i got a graphic design degree or like i'm an artist and i've been working on it for however long yeah. and it's like <laughs> man that's probably man. how i felt about my first few podcasts <laughs> that's how we all feel that's how we I all mean, feel you kind of have to a little bit like but the whole point is like the the spirit of pride never receives criticism right. and never grows never and so changes. so internally you are shackled to your own pride and externally you never actually get any better because you think you've already made it that is the spirit of pride i've already made it i already have it i don't have anything to learn the spirit of humility is the one that says Hey, this is mine. I made it, but I know it's not very good. So that's the spirit of narcissism is expecting reverence for your character without actually have done doing anything to deserve that reverence. Yes. That and is it's like you're, of you're wondering why. Well, why aren't I getting the respect I deserve? Why aren't people celebrating me? Why? And it's like, let me let you let me let everybody into a little secret. <laughs> you are getting the respect you deserve. Mm. You are always getting exactly the respect Wait, is you this, deserve. Wait, is this get to the heart unhinged now? Like, bro, this is the most unhinged we've been in I told a while. Bailey. I told Bailey <laughs> earlier, I was like, I'm going to unleash this. Yeah. You are always getting the respect you deserve. and but, yeah. but even that, like, the spirit of pride cannot receive that. And so the whole thing, if you want to be free, yeah. you have to change the fundamental inner disposition to say from... I know everything I'm right to I sure have a lot to learn, which does not mean uh, you cannot. That, is, that feels good. That just feels like relaxing. I've got a lot to learn. It's like, oh, the pressure's off. 
Yeah. You know? Well, okay, but let me let me say this. Um, I think it's in vogue right now to say like, oh, I'm I'm growing. I'm educating oh, myself. Right. I have a lot to learn. So it's not so let me say it like this. Can you learn from anyone? Mm. Is there anyone in your life who you cannot learn from? You say that person, they have nothing to teach me. That's the spirit of pride. Talk all you want about needing, about educating yourself and bettering yourself. If there's someone you cannot learn from, if you cannot learn from Elon Musk, if you cannot learn from Donald Trump, if you cannot learn from your dad, you have the spirit of pride. If there's nothing that someone in your life can teach you, you have the spirit of pride. I uh, thought of, when you said Donald Trump, I thought of that Bryson, uh, I forget his last name, rapper dude that's like, Donald Trump is your president, yeah, if you like it or not. <laughs> well, you know what? I I forget his name. I'm a conservative, so I don't want to pick on liberals, but we could say the same thing. Like if you can't learn from if you can't learn from uh Bernie Sanders, if yeah. you can't learn from Elizabeth Warren, if you can't learn from Gavin Newsom, you have like Yeah, yeah. You're actually you have the spirit of pride. I because it's it is indiscriminate. Yeah. The spirit of pride is indiscriminate. Right or left, even Christian or atheist the spirit of pride is indiscriminate, and it takes all these nasty I mean, forms. Let's just let's bust it open. You got the uh, the uh, Arcanian Arcadianism. No, uh, uh, people who believe in free will and people don't. Oh, Calvinism, Arminianism, Arminianism, and Calvinism. Yeah, yeah. If you cannot is... learn from an Arminian, if you cannot learn from a Calvinist, I have been so blessed by digging into post-millennial guys and i i showed somebody i was like hey this guy i love him so much i was like well he's calvinist he's post-millennial he believes in infant baptism i don't believe in any of that stuff but boy do i love him and i'm learning a whole bunch from him like the the podcast you listened to the other day exactly what podcast was that uh right response right Right response response. so they're very uh, he's a reformed guy he's reformed he's post-millennial he's 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 in all the theological camps that i am not in yeah but i like him i like doug wilson i like his son nate um they're awesome i i would want to hang out with them i don't agree with them but that's not the point i mean if we expect the world to stop scoffing like first off we shouldn't expect the world to stop scoffing second off if we do want to make a positive change, we got to start within our own hearts and within the church at large. And the thing that's becoming more and more clear to me every time is how stupid it is that we're so divided, especially in the West. Like you, you see other countries not as divided. There is some countries that are, but there's some places like Iran where it's like, no one cares what denomination you are. Like the government wants to kill you. Like, we're just going to worship together. Bro, you love Jesus, <laughs> and you're not going to turn me into the government? Yeah. We're brothers. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, we need to start with not scoffing at each other. Like, I definitely am guilty and have repented for it for scoffing at other denominations or other ministries. Definitely. You know? And, and like, scoffing at atheists and scoffing at Calvinists yeah. and scoffing at who, whoever it is. You know? Scoffing. So why fundamentally is scoffing bad, though? Okay, at the risk of being cheesy, I'll say it like this. When you scoff, that means you are not going to ask a question. Okay. I think those... Right, right, that's, right. That may sound a little cheesy, but really those you are your options. You disqualify. The information does not enter your mind anymore. Yes. 
and even you're not considering it did you watch that video of the teacher the student is like jk rowling is a bigot and the teacher and the teacher like walks him through the whole thing did you see that uh-uh. it's a really cool video the the student says jk rowling is a bigot and the teacher does not teach him he just asks him questions how do you know that do you have any evidence for that did you know and then he pulls up this post well this is what she said about um, being a turf and he's like okay do, what in that post do you find bigoted and all he does is lead him with questions you know what i mean and it was masterful it's really really cool to watch but the whole thing is that he doesn't teach him or scoff at him for mm. saying ah you you haven't really looked into it you don't really know what you're talking about she's not really a bigot she's this is what's really going on in the world he leads him with questions so that he finds the right answer should we watch it no, probably not. But it's kind of long. But is and the point is not the information about J.K. Rowling or about the issues that she's talked about. The point is that just that, as cheesy as it may be, your options are to scoff or to ask questions. And even I remember a preacher showed me this one time. He um, he did a word search on a question mark, so he looked up all the questions that were asked in the Gospels, and mm. far and away by like double. Jesus asks the most questions in the gospel Whoa. and he had them in categories. It's like questions that the disciples ask questions that demons ask questions that Pharisees asks and far and away. Jesus asks the most questions. Do you think that is fundamentally because Jesus is more inquisitive or do you think that's just because Jesus's words were documented more than other people's? I, well, okay. Definitely in terms of statistics, if you have more words from Jesus, odds are by raw number, you will come up with more questions from Jesus. Yeah. But but that's not necessarily true when you think about if Jesus was the teacher, the master, the Lord, right. you would think he would have done a lot more teaching. But apparently he did a lot of question asking in his ministry, um, which I think comes out of a humble heart. The real teacher knows how to lead people with good questions. Instead of lording your position over them, well, I know more than you, that always mm. leads to scoffing. You will always scoff at everyone under you. Because the teacher understands that for the student to learn, they need to discover on their own. They need to discover, not just be told. Yes. They need to have revelation. You know, oh, I see. Rather than just, okay, I'm going to be obedient to the information you're telling me, like, Jesus was after real change mm -hmm. in the people that he talked to. And yeah, I've seen it time and time again. It's like no one really likes it that much when someone just comes up and starts telling them totally. what to do, what to think. I don't care what belief you are. It's the disposition that <clears throat> someone has to say, okay, well, who are you to say that I think the wrong thing or whatever. Yep. And, and a lot of times it's, it is somewhat on the fault of the believer who is going to share the gospel and saying, you're wrong, this, this, and this, and this. And you come with this, this, like this prideful disposition in another way, yeah. rather than coming and saying, so what, what's your life like? Like what, how'd you get to this place of thinking that, you know? Yeah. I, I'm going to repurpose a quote that I heard from a preacher, but basically your two greatest weapons in evangelism are, are your ears. Just listen and, act. you know, bro, if you have not tried it, I thought you anybody, say your Bible in your mouth. 
<laughs> but that's the that's exactly that's the what problem. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That is the problem. Is like I'm gonna beat people over the head with the word of God because it's effective. It's a sword. But it's a yeah. Okay. But you're gonna cut people up. Somebody somebody asked me this question. They said, "Why a two-edged sword?" And I don't know much about ancient warfare. But what? here's my here's my guess: a one-edged sword, one blade all along the edge. Mm-hmm. Its primary purpose is for slashing, is for hacking. A two-edged sword could be really good for piercing. Mm-hmm. A one-edged sword you can only cut, slice open. You know what I mean? You but think of like you think sword. about like a meat. Yeah, a double-edged sword has can pierce. And so when you're fighting an unarmored enemy, you can hack and slash. Not a big deal because everything is exposed. Everything is fair game. But when you're fighting an armored enemy, this is like this. I do understand from like knighted warfare. You have to find the chink in the armor. And usually it's right between the helmet and the breastplate. And you and you have to pierce with with great precision. And you have and it it comes with stabbing. You have to stab with precision to defeat an armored enemy. Mm. And that's. That's evangelism. Everyone you meet is armored by their own pride, by demonic principalities, by the whole nine. And the word of God pierces the And the the word of God. And that's that's the next line. It can separate Mm. from spirit and soul, bone and marrow. It it is exact in its precision. And if I'm going to stab with that weapon with precision, I have to listen first. I think that's often where the scoffing comes from. It's like people don't really even know why they're doing it because it's so like— the, the gospel, speaking of God, talking about these fundamental truths of reality is exposing. Because it, it means, like, fundamentally, even if they don't understand this uh, consciously, fundamentally, deep down, they recognize that if there's a God, yeah, there's some things they got to get right. And we start you know? going there and I start getting exposed and it is like a knee jerk reaction yeah. to, to laugh at you and to change the subject. I mean, when you th- think about that is a, a logical fallacy to scoff, hmm. you're not actually aiming at the argument, but that you just have to run. You just have yeah, to run avoiding. somehow and dismiss the argument and run around it and not answer it by scoffing. Yeah. And the, or the other thing I think, and this is getting back to Peterson's point is that when people are weak, that, that thing we said about like pride producing nothing great because you never can grow because you already think you've arrived. And when you get people, like entire groups of people who are weak and uncreative and insular and basically atrophying from the moment they're yeah. conscious because yeah. they're not producing anything new or great, um, you... You circle the wagons by scoffing. Yeah. You find out who's good and who's bad by scoffing and right. by shame. You have and to rule the entire, all the lines and boundaries of who's in, who's out, who's good, who's bad by shame and by laughter. And so when I feel my position dragged out, when I feel moved out of my position of the in crowd, I have to laugh at you to stay in and you can be out. Yeah. Well, and you, you never go too deep with anyone. Like, I, you have to, I feel like in friendships, and we've been wanting to do a fellowship episode for so long, and I think it'll come at the right time, but with with friendships, you you have to be able to go to those tender places if you're actually going to be friends, if you're actually going to be in a relationship. And so oftentimes, if, if you find this place where it's raw and vulnerable and the scoffing is the result, the joking, the whatever, to avoid and run, it's like 
you're the reason you're enslaved is because you're you're always going to be running from depth yep and avoiding people and as soon as you get close you're skedaddling like as soon as someone gets a little too close it it makes you vulnerable again you realize the inadequacy or the unrighteousness or whatever that thing is and you you jump and jump and jump and you never go super deep with anyone the I, I will say that this is a condemnation on the Christian church. Yeah, for sure. The Bible says that Adam and Eve um, were together in the garden, and they were naked, and they had no shame, which is literal. They, yeah. they were probably nude in the garden, you know, from all the pictures and paintings that we can see. <laughs> all the, from all the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that was literal, yeah, yeah. but more important than the literal, whether they were naked or not, doesn't matter. The fact that the metaphor of they knew each other at the very bottom, they were yeah. not hiding anything and nobody caused shame on each other. Yeah. Well, it would make sense that the physical reality and the emotional and spiritual were all intertwined and all in yeah. unison with that. Now we have to cover up, you know, and I have talked about, I have talked about doing marriage counseling and. And as I'm preparing people for that new stage of their life in marriage, I have said like that, that is the scariest thing when physically, when like emotionally, yes, you are vulnerable with each other. But when you add that physical layer, there is something that changes where you realize just how fully known you are. Mm. You know, I, ideally no one else on the planet has seen me like this. And, and I'm about to give it to you. And whether or not you accept me and like me in this state is huge. So huge that like many people who do not serve God, who, who don't have Christ, who don't have that, that identity that's rooted, you know, in, in acceptance in God, mm. can't do that without being drunk. Can't do it without being brain dead, you know, can't expose themselves in that kind of vulnerable physical state to somebody without medicating it yeah and um i this is the condemnation to the church think about the idea of coming out when people come out to those communities and they're accepted you have just bared the deepest most raw kind of traumatic stressful anxiety guilty parts of yourself to someone else and they say i accept you anyway let's help you move forward Mm. just take that for like i accept you anyway let's help you move forward it is not that should be the comment from the church i accept you anyway let's help you move forward but into freedom into righteousness into the right way that god views relationships unfortunately the church usually does not say that that is what all the alphabet communities are saying I accept you. Let's help you move forward into more freedom, into more license, into more of what you yeah. think you want to do. Um, and that, that vulnerable and not ashamed should be the character of the church. That's fascinating. But it is not. Unfortunately, it is the character of sinners who, and, and what Romans chapter one says is, uh, I mean, is it even possible to fix that? Like, We've. I feel like the church has been broken for so long because, I mean... Yeah, you could say capital C church as yeah. an idea. Yeah, yeah. But anybody can do it in their small group. 
Anybody yeah. can do it in their home. Anybody it's can all do about it. taking personal responsibility. Yeah, anybody can do it with the actual soul across from you on the other couch on the other side of the room. Yeah. You know, the capital C church needs a deep reformation, but anybody can start. Anybody can bring acceptance to their workplace, to their school, to their home, you know. But reformation, revival, whatever you want to call it, starts from, starts person per, per person. Starts yeah. friendship from friendship, small group to small group. Yeah. True reformation does not come in changing policies. Yeah. True reformation comes one heart at a time. And that's why, <laughs> and that's why government <laughs> is not the answer. That's why we need anarchy. That's why you person who is listening. Yeah. Need the spirit of humility well, that's, to so grow. That's something we were talking about uh, just two days ago, which was on the phone was we what our heart is for the show is to help every single person listen start to make little shifts and changes yeah. in their own hearts and their own lives that make little shifts and changes in their local church in their small groups in their friendship circles and we think that'll matter you know at least i do i think it'll jesus matter. jesus was born Socially to nobodies in a nowhere town in a nowhere part of the world empire. Yeah. And he changed the world. And I think the whole point is that is changes do not come in palaces, in halls of government. Changes do not come in banks or financial institutions. Changes come from people. Yeah. And that was Jesus' whole point. And so we can end with the question that, I didn't answer yet, which was, what do you do when you're being laughed at? No. And I had, and I had a, a young lady who uh, recently took a job as a teacher in a um, low socioeconomic school. Yeah. And we were just talking about uh, phrases and slang terms that none of us adults can keep up with. <laughs> and I'm 28 and I'm saying like, I'm already way past the point of being able to understand them. And she said that her kids called her a Sigma. Mm. They're like, miss, you're a Sigma. And do you know what that is? No. It, the idea is like you have an alpha who's an alpha and a beta. The mm. alpha is the alpha male. He's better. The beta male is, you know, okay, lesser. Right, right. In the, in the conventional Hierarchy. order of things, mm. the Sigma does not care about the conventional order of things. They are outside of the realm of caring about what you think about oh, what I do. Okay. I have my own convictions. I have my own... And so she was kind of laughing about like, I don't even know what they're saying to me. And when I explained it to her and then I was like, I think it's a compliment. Yeah. I think every Christian, I, like, I was like, that's what you should tell them. If they call you a be like, yes, yeah, cause I'm a Christian. Yeah. Why, why am I outside of the frame of being judged by the world system? Because I know that the world is judged and I am totally outside of the You're realm of Sigma. <laughs> As cheesy, as dumb as oh, it sounds. Have we become the old guys now? I feel like, like, but there's like old Bro. people that call us young. Like, nah, what, how old are you? 29? 28, yeah. 28? I'm almost 27. And you're almost 29, right? I don't know. No, I'm always okay. away from 29. So, yeah. And, and we're like, everybody's like on, on our videos, like, these young guys. Who, who wants to hear from these young guys? And it's like, but we're, I think we're the old people now because like, just depends that don't where understand. I'm at. Yeah. It just depends. It just it's depends all who I'm around. Yeah. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
man, when you're accepted in the Lord, there's that phrase from Ephesians that just, there's something about it that has really captured my heart for the last couple months is accepted in the Messiah, mm. accepted in the Messiah. Uh, when you know that you are accepted yeah. in the Messiah, no scorn, no laughing, no mocking. And when I know that I'm accepted in the Messiah, I don't need a spirit of pride to defend myself. I, I can let my, I can let all that armor off and be vulnerable in his presence, in the presence of his people, the church, yeah. because I'm accepted in him and I can receive criticism and grow from it and become better and achieve more because I'm accepted. I yeah. start from a place of acceptance in the Messiah and I can grow from there. The spirit of pride hides how small and weak it truly is. The spirit of humility never reveals how strong it really is, how, how much it really has, has achieved and, and has learned. Um, mm. And w when I start at a place of acceptance, I, I'm free to have that, which is why it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you to, the, to repentance. Yeah. When you encounter his kindness and the acceptance that he already has for you, it, it causes people to take off that armor of the spirit of pride. And, um, yeah, I was thinking in our last episode, it's like, it's the fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom. And it's like through that wisdom of recognizing his kindness that leads you to repentance. So it's like, yeah, first, you know, and, and some, I don't know which one comes first. I think sometimes maybe one or the other comes first, but, um, that's what I was just thinking. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, but do you, do you want to pray for us on this? Thank and you. Lord. Everybody listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are kind. Thank you, Lord, that you have so obviously, so clearly reached out your hand of grace and acceptance to us. And Lord, as Christians, we want to be those same kind of people who reach out hands of acceptance and grace to others um, to let them know not only that we love them for your sake because you love them too. Lord, we ask um, that you would help teach us to grow, not to defend ourselves, not to not to protect ourselves from criticism, but to, to receive it and to grow because you discipline those you love and and you just want what's best for us to grow and, and become better. So we love you, and for all that, we put our trust in you and listen attentively. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thank you for making it to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a like a comment, and subscribe to our channel. And if you want to give to the podcast, you can give at divinecreative.org, and that link will be in the bio and on our channel.